taking a quick break from Romans, uh, just as I mentioned last week, just with the amount of different trainings and applications and things I had to do with uh, classes coming up, it was it's helpful for me to look at a, a passage not quite as involved and complex as 5, 12 through 21. We'll get there next week, Lord willing. Uh, but this week we'll be looking at the uh, preamble to the book of Proverbs. So thank you all for letting me make this adjustment. It, uh, it was a blessing to me. Well, let's hear the word of God this, to us this morning. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let us pray. Lord, your word tells us, if any of us lacks wisdom, that we should without doubting ask and that you would give it. So here we are, God. We are frail and weak people. Lord, we can be really foolish God, we need your wisdom, so we humbly ask that you would meet us, God, in this place, and you would provide wisdom to our hearts and to our souls for all of life. We ask this in Christ's name alone. Amen. <clears throat> wisdom. Now, what comes to your mind when you hear the word wisdom? Maybe you think of Yoda. That small, green, alien-like figure from Star Wars that helped train Luke Skywalker. He was full of short, pithy sayings. Do or do not. There is no try. Or maybe you think of J.R.R. Tolkien's wizard Gandalf from The Lord of the Rings, from the, the books and the movie, movies. He said, the world is not in your books and maps, it is out there. Or memorably, a wizard is never late, nor is he early, he arrives precisely when he means to. Or maybe you think of a grandparent, one from whom you received tried and true advice and wisdom and stories that seemed to illuminate life. Richard Belcher has helpfully said of biblical wisdom that it can be, quote, summarized as the ability to understand how life works in order to respond appropriately. The ability to understand how life works in order to respond appropriately. And when we look at wisdom this morning, especially as we consider it in this biblical context, it's also helpful for us to think of it as roughly the ability to understand the implications of situations or skill in strategizing or expertise. You can think of it as knowledge put to use or the ability to understand trajectories or good judgment in personal affairs. And because we greatly stand or we stand to, uh, to benefit from this wisdom of God, we're going to take a few moments this morning and see what this book of Proverbs, these first few verses, 
have to tell us about wisdom. We're going to think about the receivers of wisdom, the foundation of wisdom, and then the consummation of wisdom. But first, and we'll be spending most of our time here this morning, we're going to look at the receivers of wisdom. Now, Proverbs 1, 1 through 7 here stands as a preamble to the rest of the book. It kind of gives us the lay of the land. We're introduced to the main terms of the book. We're given the purpose of the book. And at the end, we're given the motto for the entire book. You can say that this preamble here unlocks the rest of the book of Proverbs, where you kind of see it as a table of contents. You know, what are you going to find in the rest of the book? But we can ask just who was this book written for? In verse 5, we see that these teachings are here for those who are already wise so that they might increase in learning and so that the one who understands may obtain guidance. Okay, so on the one hand, these teachings are for the spiritually mature, but on the other hand, and as you walk through Proverbs, you see this more and more, that these are the words of a father written to his young son who's about to enter into the adult world with all of its possibilities and also with all of its dangers and opportunities. Repeatedly, we hear things like, my son, do not forget my teaching. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Or, I like this one, hear my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. And bear in mind that these words also more generally address all who are of the youth, both male and female. The word used for youth here in the preamble, uh, the word na'ar, has a range of meaning. Uh, describes in Exodus the infant Moses, in Genesis 37, it describes the teenage Joseph, who I think was 17 years old, at the time, and in Proverbs, it has a general meaning of one who is in the early stages of life, one who's not quite an adult, one who's not quite married yet, uh, one living you know, under their parents' protection and guidance. This is who, this is one of those groups of people to whom this book is addressed. Now we could ask, why do the youth need instruction? Why is so much time being spent on instructing the youth in Proverbs and of warning them? Because according to Proverbs, and undoubtedly this coincides with our own experience, youth are subject to all kinds of temptations. All kinds of temptations. They can be enticed by the reckless to run headlong into violence, into evil, See verses 10 through 19 of chapter 1. As those who have not had the time and the discipline to mature morally and spiritually, they can be more easily seduced, for example, by the forbidden woman of chapter 7, which unfortunately has all kinds of contemporary applications for males and females in our digital age. Slothfulness, drunkenness, anger, patience, what to look for, and a spouse, how to view and use your money. All of these things are addressed in such a way as to steer us away from the danger and into a rightly ordered way of life. That's the beauty of these Proverbs. 
They give us insight, sometimes very entertaining insight, into real life issues, into the good, into the bad, and into the ugly, though all from a safe distance. We can, hap we can see what happens to the slothful, for instance, that they'll crave and crave and get nothing, that they'll be put to forced labor and eventually wind up in poverty. We can see all of this without having to experience the consequences ourselves. It's a pretty good deal, really. Proverbs says, The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. And at this stage of life, at the time of our youth, it's no secret that we go through many changes, including those which are intellectual and emotional. We begin wondering just who we are and what kind of purpose we have in this world. We want to be esteemed by our classmates and friends, and we begin to ask questions like this. What do I really believe? What kind of person do I want to be? How do I go about making serious decisions? Do I trust my heart? Can the counsel gain from my Instagram feed or this 20-second inspirational TikTok clip really kind of stand the test of time when the rubber meets the road? Or is there a higher wisdom? Is there something firmer for me to place my feet upon? Now, you might be saying, whoa, 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 Pastor Mike. I don't think uh, what I see online has more authority than what I see in the Bible. I obviously know the difference between the word of God and the word of man. And that may be so. But we could still ask, what do we spend most of our time doing? And what kind of habits have we cemented into our minds and into our hearts? In other words, even if you believe that the Bible is the word of God, you can still live your day to day in such a way that you reveal that your primary source of discipleship is something other than the word of God, something inferior to the wisdom of God. We should all be aware that even without knowing it, we are constantly being shaped and formed and molded by what we receive into our hearts, including you know, what we watch on YouTube and what we view on our phones. Now, this isn't to say don't ever use your phones or technology. That's not the point of what I'm saying. But all of this should at least cause us to stop and consider exactly what we are allowing to be sort of the background to all of our thoughts and our meditations throughout the day. Is it wisdom or is it folly? If we want to know wisdom, if we want to know where the paths of life are to be found, if we want to understand words of insight, we have to look to God's wisdom. And this prologue invites us to chase after and to dig into exactly that. Our Lord is concerned that we hear and internalize this instruction, that we write it on the tablet of our heart, since it is better than riches, better than silver, better than any natural good, better than the advice of any influencer, better than any tantalizing temptation we may have on our hearts. You all know what that might be for yourself. We are told that all we may desire cannot compare with her. All we may desire cannot compare with her. You see, sometimes the word of God reminds us that we don't always desire the right things. 
It's entirely possible that at the crossroads of life, our heart takes a wrong turn, ignoring this wisdom while heading down a dark path that seems good to us. Haven't we heard it said, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And later, Solomon will say, frankly, very candidly, there's a, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. And in a similar vein, he tells us to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Do you notice a pattern emerging here in the Proverbs? God is reminding us of the supreme value and worth of wisdom for our lives, for all of life. Valuable because it comes from God and valuable because it instructs us in how we are to live in accord with the will of God in this wacky world, a world that confronts us with innumerable difficulties and temptations and opportunities and gray areas. There's no shortage of gray areas in life, and we need wisdom for the gray areas of life. And because we are finite, because we are limited, and because we still struggle with sin, we need this divine perspective and interpretation of life provided by wisdom. When you buy your first car, right, most people seek out counsel from others, perhaps a parent or a trusted friend, to keep them from buying something that they really don't need or something that they're gonna not they're not gonna want down the road. And in a similar way, wisdom is our advisor for all of life, keeping us from buying a lemon, metaphorically speaking. Keeps us from giving attention to the things that don't matter, and it helps us to, to stay our minds on those things that really do matter. Okay, so so much for the receivers of wisdom. Now we want to look at the foundation of wisdom. So we can ask, what is at the foundation of this wisdom in Proverbs? What must be true of the man or of the woman or of the youth if they are to possess and succeed with this wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the first and primary and essential ingredient to a life well lived. Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke, in his helpful commentary on Proverbs, says concerning the fear of the Lord here, what the alphabet is to reading, notes to reading music, and numerals to mathematics, the fear of the Lord is to attaining the revealed knowledge of this book. The fear of the Lord is not the conclusion of our task to find knowledge in this world, but it is the beginning. Do you wish to have knowledge? Do you wish to love life and see good days? Do you desire to live this life in a righteous and just manner, flourishing rather than flailing in the failures of the foolish? Then you must fear the Lord. The proverb says the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Now, if you bypass this motto and just look at Proverbs apart from it, you might get the sense that this is, Proverbs is kind of an ethics 101 course. You know, it's, it's merely instruction in how to live a morally upright 
and civil life in this world. But this motto helps us to see that this is more of a religion 101 course because the Lord and our relationship to him plays an essential role in determining what kind of people we are going to be in this world. Are we going to be wise people? Are we going to be foolish people? Are we going to be slothful people? Or are we going to be diligent people? That depends on your take on the fear of the Lord, you know, whether you are somebody who fears the Lord or not. Now, what is this fear of the Lord that Solomon is talking about? Let's begin by describing what it's not. The fear of the Lord is not a, a slavish fear or a servile fear. As believers, that's important, as believers, we do not cower in terror at the sound of the Lord's name for fear that somehow he will snuff us out of, out of existence for any small or minor misstep on our part. I don't think that's what the fear of the Lord is. Instead, this kind of fear is characterized by reverence, by honor, by obedience, and by what I want to call a, a certain kind of spiritual sobriety that understands that God is God, that He is the Most High. He is the Almighty, the one in whose hand is our very breath, the one who the writer of Hebrews describes as a consuming fire. Thus we are to approach Him in wonder and in love and in awe and in humility. And this humility is key. We are to renounce a self-sufficient mindset as if we ourselves were the measure of all things. In order to be wise, we mustn't be wise in our own eyes. Instead, we must think God's thoughts after him. We must pattern our reasoning after his revealed word. Everything must be known, understood, and interpreted in the light of our glorious Lord. Everything we hear, everything we see, everything we read, everything we say, it all must be evaluated and brought into submission to the God of knowledge and his clear written revelation to us. Or if we want to put it in the language of the New Testament, we must take every thought captive to obey Christ. And if we don't fear the Lord in this biblical manner, then I propose we will open ourselves up to be overcome by fear of just about everyone and everything else in this world. But if we fear the Lord, if we fear the Almighty, the Omnipotent One who reigns over all things, then what can possibly exist that can bring terror to our hearts? As it is said in Romans, if God be for us, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now we want to close considering the consummation of wisdom. We looked at who, who is it that is to receive this wisdom? What is the foundation of this wisdom? The fear of the Lord. And then finally, the consummation of wisdom. So I want to conclude by pointing out uh, one last instance this morning of the fear of the Lord in the Old Testament, though you do see it in the New Testament as well. I want to put the spotlight on one other text. Isaiah tells us of a coming ruler from the line of Jesse. Now, Jesse, if you remember, was King David's father. The prophet says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, 
the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Wisdom, knowledge, understanding, the fear of the Lord. Does this all sound familiar? We, we just got finished talking about all of these things in Proverbs 1. And when we look at this descendant of David, this Messiah, really, who is the Lord Jesus, in him we behold God's wisdom perfectly manifested. He is the one who is greater than Solomon, Matthew 12, 42. He is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2, 3. In him, in his crucifixion, the world sees weakness. It sees folly. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God and the wisdom of God. In the cross, God's eternally wise plan for our salvation comes to pass. The apostle in 1 Corinthians tells us that God has made Christ our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So we can ask again, is it wisdom that you seek? Then receive Christ, treasure Christ, call out to Christ, raise your voice for him, Flee to him, believe in his name, for in him and in him alone do we receive the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. Wisdom is not only the skill of godly living, but it is also a person freely offered and given to us in the gospel. Jesus is the consummation. He is the pinnacle of God's wisdom. So, as we go about our business in the world this week as we head out these doors to our lives and different stations and callings in life. Let us remember the task of wisdom that we are to receive, meditate, and act upon God's revealed word, but also let us remember and rely on and rest in wisdom incarnate, wisdom with a capital W, and this is Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the diversity of genres in your word, that it's not, it doesn't read like a textbook, but that we have just, we have, we have drama, we have poetry, we have epistles, and we have wisdom literature. God, help us to be those who desire to, to find out what that wisdom literature has to say. God, help us to fear you. God, help us to think of you in every thought that we take. Help us to, to remember you, God, and help us to not live foolishly by leaning on our own understanding or trusting in our own mind, but help us to instead to lean on you and to trust in your mind which you and your goodness have provided a glimpse of in your word. We pray and ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.